Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the special sports Q&A thankful podcast episode. He's Q. Where are you, Q? No, I'm right here. And that's A. <laughs> right, Q must have had a little too much uh, turkey and stuffing already before Thanksgiving. <laughs> the pregame. <laughs> the pregame, which is always, always deadly. You may not be able to fulfill your destiny on actually Thanksgiving Day, right? It's like, like peaking in practice and then game time, you, you show that donut, it ain't gonna work. But we're gonna keep it short and sweet because you know everybody is spending time with their family, feeding their face, uh, taking naps, going after plates, visiting folks, and getting ready. Well, some folks getting ready for work the next day or for uh, Black Friday, all that good stuff, but. We're going to keep it short and sweet, keep things relevant, and we're going to jump right into it. The NBA, again, fans, if you've been following us for, jeez, it's been a while, since we've been doing our, our, our thing, you know my ebbs and flows with the NBA. You know how I was a non-watcher a couple years back. They kind of won me over. It is an entertaining product, even though it's top-heavy. It's an entertaining product now. Uh, but I think the NBA is leading the way in how the new modern athlete deals with their own personal brand. Uh, and some of the players from the other leagues could take some notes uh, from NBA players in doing that. So we talk about this last week. It was two weeks ago. No, it was last Yeah, two weeks ago. Jimmy Butler finally got his wish. Jimmy Butler was traded from Minnesota into an upgrade, most people would think, the 76ers. Uh, we actually talked about this offline uh, when we uh, had our, our trip to Atlanta to go see Georgia Tech-Miami uh, game. But Jimmy basically verbally forced the hand of management to make a move. Um, some people would agree with his methods, which, you know, have been highly publicized. Uh, him uh, talking negatively about teammates, about the, the team, the management. And he, and he finally got what he wanted, and it was an upgrade. My question is, is this the new form of branding, controlling, taking charge of my own career, or is this just some crybaby, whiny athlete trying to get out of a situation uh, because of a lack of leadership? I'm actually going to say a little of both. Um, on one hand, you have to like the fact that the players recognize they, their worth and their value. So they're trying to leverage that to the best of their ability. But in the case of Butler, the way he handled his relationship with his teammates, I think that's where it was kind of bad because these are your coworkers. These are the people that you go to battle with. And what happens, he's already set a, a, a dangerous precedent because this is his third team in, was it, three or four years? Um, started off with the Bulls, 
finagled himself into Minnesota with the trade. Um, a lot of people thought him reuniting with uh, Thibodeau in uh, Minnesota was going to work, but obviously it didn't because I guess the, the chemistry with him, Carl Anthony Towns, and uh, Wiggins just wasn't there. So how is this going to work now with him being in Philadelphia, uh, with Simmons, with Embiid? Um, and we're starting to see early on that there's some 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 give and take. And one of the players that was getting a lot of looks is now giving them away to Butler. So how long will it be before, especially if Philadelphia doesn't maximize their potential like like so many expect them to? What happens if Philly has a second round exit or has a, a unceremonious? Uh, run in the in, in the playoffs, will he be disgruntled? Will he be frustrated? And will this be another situation where we find ourselves talking about Butler moving on to another team so quickly? Yeah, so I agree wholeheartedly. I think the thing is I, I lead towards the and I argued against this, ironically, but think about it more. I think is that the lack of, of leadership, in a way, of him. At least I feel he attempted to be the leader in Minnesota, or the, I know that the management wanted him to be the leader. But it just didn't work out. I mean, you're dealing with Jimmy's not old, but you're dealing with younger players who are talented. Some argue more talented than he he is, and him not getting them to be able to to follow him. Or, or not lead them in the right direction. So I think it may be a frustration. I think this may be a situation, and I, I'm going to uh, uh, parallel this to the situation only in the aspect of of a person being a good player, a great player, going to a situation with other good players or a good team, and them not having to be the overall leader, and that's KD. When KD mm. decided to go to Golden State, he did not have to be the man. He did not have to be the leader. He can just be KD, and he can get off offensively and some nights and some nights take a because you got guys setting three-point record. And in the 76ers case, they need the leadership because right now, who's their leader? Is it J.J. Reddick? I mean, the thing is, their leader is yet to be uh, decided, and I think that's what's going to hold them back is not having a true leader. Because who on Philly do you feel is the go-to guy when it's clutch time? Is it Embiid? Uh, who is it? And and the, and that's the thing is they have to figure that out. Um, Jimmy definitely is a vet. He can bring something that a lot of players don't have. He definitely benefits the 76ers. But it may be a win-win for him where he can kind of lay in the cut like Neil Sporin and still mm-hmm. be so um, it's really a situation where Jimmy got what he wanted um, and he and the team may be better off for it. Uh, and Minnesota is to be determined because I kind of ironic what Minnesota settled on for the trade where it was rumored that Houston offered the max deal of what, four first round draft picks? Yeah. Uh, and maybe they didn't want to trade him to the West. 
That may that made sense. I mean that also that could have played a factor, but I think also when you look at the uncertainty when it comes to drafting players, um, definitely in the NBA, we first round picks in the NFL are a little bit more consistent. But when we go back and look at some of this stuff, go back over the last three or four drafts for the NBA, and you have a lot of guys that made little to no contributions. And I'm not just talking about the picks at 17, 18, 19, 20 in the back end of the first round. I'm talking about lottery picks. I'm talking about third, uh, top three picks that are on their second or third team, or if not fourth team, when you look at somebody like a, a Thomas Robinson, um, which is unfortunate because he had a great career at at Kansas. So you figure with Minnesota, we need some bodies. We need a guy. We need two guys that we can kind of depend on because Minnesota had always lacked that outside shooter. They get one in, in Covington, who's also a pretty decent defender, and you get someone that's a, a, some size and outside shooter with uh, Dario Sokrich. So it, it should help. It's just about figuring out how they fit in and – how long is it going to take them to get acclimated being in the West? And can they stay afloat? Can they do they have enough talent to still be a, a four, fifth, six seed and avoid the teams like Golden State and Houston in that first round again? Because you don't want to, even though Golden State right now is going through a, a, a terrible stretch, you don't want to play them in the playoffs until, I mean, until you have to. Right. Which means being the top four seed. Right. And I don't know if they will be if Minnesota will be a top four seed even with Jimmy Butler not being disgruntled. So it's gonna be interesting uh how that plays itself out. But I mean, you look at uh how free agency has gone and we're looking at top tier guys. I don't foresee Jimmy Butler's situation happening with with the middle tier, the low tier guys in the NBA being overly disgruntled. Uh, but when you're looking at how some superstars handled their free agencies lately, we are mentioned KD already. We talk about LeBron, how he did it. Even talk about how it affects players now, because you really haven't seen that side of how free agency, uh, agent, uh, agency affects teammates uh, until after players are gone. But you just had the incident last week with, with Draymond uh, and KD. And it all stemmed from a situation kind of boiled over from a situation where uh, Day-Day decided he wanted to be the person to, to make the last shot and kind of fumbled it away. And they got into an argument, which led to his him having some uh, uh, some choice words for KD and then get suspended by the organization, which speaks volumes. Um, and, and it's affecting what's going on in the locker room, which, you know, they've kind of been – the Teflon Dons of, of the NBA with no drama and things being taken care of and then just handling the business on the court over the last five seasons. Is this uh, what's to come with your superstars? And I'm thinking of superstars or guys within the next three years that will be free agents. Are you looking at superstar guys? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Kawhi Leonard does this year when he's a free agent. Or if he resigns with Toronto, it. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Will this be how free agency 
is handled by superstars going forward? Or is it a, a player by player basis? Um, I really think this is gonna be that trend for superstars. Unfortunately, the uh, a lot of teams are gonna suffer. Um, you look at I'm gonna be real, teams like Milwaukee, Detroit, mm-hmm. um, Phoenix, maybe uh, Memphis. These what they call treadmill teams that are too good to not get the uh, a top three pick in the NBA draft, but not good enough to contend. They're not going to be able to attract these guys. I mean, I've had this conversation with people numerous times about the Pistons. They're not a destination. I don't care. Even when you look back when they were winning, uh, the go-to-work Pistons still weren't attracting top free agents. They That team won because they were a, a unit of vagabonds and castoffs. And that's not going to work, I don't think, anymore in the NBA. You need a, a one, a bona fide superstar, and then you need a guy, if not two, that can complement that superstar. Um, and unfortunately, it also depends on that position because you one you have to hope that one if depending on where that first guy is, you have to have the other guy or the other guys at the other position. So keep using the Pistons. You have Blake Griffin who has shown this year that despite him not being the high flyer he was when he first came his first couple of years, dude is still getting buckets. Um and he's still a a very legitimate scorer. He can take over games when need, but the Pistons are still in that 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 what to do phase because they don't have a guard they they that they can depend on that's gonna carry the offense, set up the offense in crunch time. And that's what's going to be the issue. Because can they find that guy that's good enough to be an 18 to 22 point score, six or seven assists in free agency? No, they're not. They thought they had that person in uh, Reggie Jackson, but he's a head case. And I'm going to just put it plain and simple. He's a head case. He thinks he's better than what he is. And he's never gotten out of that mindset from when he was in Oklahoma City thinking, oh, I'm better than the, I'm just as good as these guys. I can do that too. No, you can't. Play to your strengths and, and, and play within the, the confines of the, the, the team offense and what the team is expecting you to. But back to uh, just going back full circle, that's going to be the biggest issue. You Right now, New York, even even the Knicks. I think we've heard the conversations where there's talk where if Butler doesn't or Butler or Kawhi doesn't find happiness where they are, them joining Kyrie Irving in New York. So New York is down right now, but they still are because of the market, because of the city. That's still a destination spot. You look at L.A., both L.A. teams, because one, the Lakers have LeBron. Two, the Clippers are in L.A., and and that's an opportunity right there. I, I guess you can say Golden State because of the success that they developed. Um, you have a handful of teams that's always going to be up there in the conversation for free agencies, free agents, but then you also have the teams that they're not going to be the pick. They're not going to get picked. They're not, they're not going to go out with the popular kids. The popular kids aren't choosing them. 
And I can also lump Dallas in there. Despite what a lot of fans think down here, Dallas is not the, the cool kid anymore. I mean, remember, they lost out on when that first go-round with the uh, White Howard, the first debacle with uh, DeAndre Jordan, they were second. They were the second choice. They were the they they got the leftovers, and I think that's what's going to be frustrating for a lot of fans because you see a team like Milwaukee. If they lose the Greek Freak, what are they going to do? It's like and and the NBA has tried to keep giving incentives to keep players in certain areas with the super max and all that stuff, but what if a guy just wants out? There's nothing the NBA, there's nothing these teams can do to stop him. If, if Antis Kunkumpo decides, oh, I want to go to uh, this team, or Anthony Davis says, I'm done with uh, New Orleans, I'm going to L.A., there's nothing mm-hmm. that can keep them there. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, is that you're going to end up, Ended up, end up with probably six to eight super teams, and the rest vagabond um, to be playing, and can just name them the city's name and the generals like the Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. Because you, when you have teams that don't care about the luxury tax because they know they're going to win, they're going, they're selling out. They have superstars. They're going to go to the playoffs and make that money. Then they're good with that. But these smaller market teams that have good players that either develop them or get those second second contract guys that develop uh, uh, just beyond belief, then now guys get stuck. I mean, it's it's really going to be interesting how it plays itself. I think it's just going to end up being more super teams uh, and not the, the super teams that are one, two players and you just throw a gang of, of guys at them. Because at this point in time, I don't consider L.A. a super team. It has LeBron, but it's not a super team yet. I think in two years, it will be uh, – that will be the only chance LeBron has a chance to win there because they're dumpster fire right now. Yeah, they'll make the playoffs. They won't be a top four seed. They may get out the first round, but they don't, they're don't. they not built to win right now. They're, they're built gimmick-wise, and, and everybody's eating it up because almost every L.A. Lakers game is on some form of TV uh, nationally. So, again, it's doing its job as the entertainment piece. But on the basketball end, uh, it's just going to be interesting how these superstars that are upcoming with expiring contracts are going to play the game. And I think um, the current players have paved the way and realized that they can control it to a certain extent. And this is what players have been fighting for. But this is the minority of the the number of players that are in the league, so it's going to be interesting how the other players react. Because the one thing that you have to pay attention to, people have to pay attention to, with the increased um, salary cap and the rules, we saw this way back with the Pistons with Charlie V and Ben Gordon, where the Pistons couldn't, weren't the destination, like you said, mm-hmm. and they had to pay the money and they overpaid for guys. Now, granted, Ben Gordon was not as bad, but Charlie V, who was a piston killer before, was the equivalent on the court of what Sean Elliott did for us. No, no call, no show. So, 
Um, it's just going to be interesting on how they play it out where you're going to have guys that are second tier. They're going to be able to do it. I mean, you're just going to end up having super teams. The superstars are going to find the, the, the one or two superstars to build with them, and they're going to find the, those next level guys that are willing to make a little sacrifice or or the superstars make a super or a sacrifice on the contract to make sure that they get those guys. Because you have teams, like you mentioned with the Pistons, who – should will be should be a playoff team in the East. Could be battling for a top four between four and seven. Um, but they don't have shooters. I mean, I would trade every guard that the Pistons has right now, every guard, for draft picks and just play shorthanded because nobody controls it. Everybody's a street shooter. It's somebody different every day that comes and delivers and half the time the mail not even there. So, um. But that's just how how the makeup of the team is right now. So I, I'm going to watch this with a keen eye to see it when the next group of superstars come through, how are they going to do that? All right, so I'm going to give you exactly 60 seconds to give your response to Carmelo Anthony and the Houston Rockets and what in the hell happened there. I mean, this is just a situation where it was a bad fit and they had a couple other guys step up. They expected him to be a bench contributor. He fought that. And then they found somebody that could take his minutes. Um, He still hasn't been officially released yet. And it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. Will he find another team? Um, we, we, we hear the rumors, maybe Miami, maybe somewhere else. Always L.A. <clears throat> but it's – this is a bad look for him because it's it's hurting his legacy because people people are just assuming stuff for the wrong reasons. And, I mean, I've heard people discuss whether this guy was even a Hall of Famer. And I'm like, are you serious? But this is what happens when you have circumstances like what has happened with him between him flip-flopping with teams and having issues with number te- number of teams he's been on. Yeah, I mean, it was a bad – I agree. It was a bad fit from the rip uh, with Melo going to Houston, considering what they needed, what they lost, and what he brought. I mean, if they were willing to say, all right, Melo, you're going to get 30 minutes a game and you give us your offense. But the offense has to go through Melo. That's just kind of how he operates. So it really wasn't a fit for what they tried to play. I think they just had to go with – what was the best option, best player available that they thought in that situation. And I, I don't think they even gave it a, a, a big enough chance. And now that they won and won five straight now without them, it's almost a, you know, like you say, a foregone conclusion that it's a wrap for them. But I don't think they gave it a, a, a long enough shot because the thing is, you could really get something for him if Melo averaged what he averages if he can average 18, you can trade him to somebody. You can find a team that was that's rising in the East that feels that they can make a difference and get rid of him. That wouldn't have been an issue. But I just think that they were – I think they was uh, set up for unrealistic expectations, uh, that Melo was going to just fit in this system and not happen. And it could be the relationship with him and D'Antoni. I don't know. Um, but I don't know. But with that, we out of here done with the with the NBA. And we're gonna jump right into <coughs> rivalry week in college football. The last week of regular season play 
with the exception of one of the makeup games, um, and then his championship uh, weekend next week. But we're gonna jump right into rivalry uh, rivalry week and talk about the biggest rivalry, at least the one that should be the most competitive out of the ones, and the one that we're most closely connected to, the Michigan Ohio State game. Um, it's evidently clear that the committee does not respect Ohio State and what they what they've been able to do as a one loss team with them not moving and UCF jumping them in the latest poll. Uh, it's also clear with them being a underdog uh, at home against Michigan, but their defensive woes that they've shown in the Maryland uh, escape room victory last week and the blowout loss to uh, Purdue, that they have some gaping issues. And then you also have the, the elephant in the room, which is the head coach, Urban Meyer. The situation in the beginning of the season and then his announcement a couple of weeks ago about his health. Um, it's almost most people think it's a foregone conclusion that he's gone out of there after this season. For whatever reason, whether it's the greener passes in the NFL or just a step away or whatever the case. But when we look at this game and look at the rivalry in general, I mean, it's one of the most spirited rivalries. It's one of the most petty rivalries uh, in, in fan, with the fan bases. Because some of the memes and some of the posts about it has been just straight up just disrespectful beyond belief that your ancestors' ancestors would get up and slap the fool out of you for being so disrespectful. <laughs> um, but uh, we got we got into a little bit of the war of the world of words this week, but it wasn't really initiated by the players. Uh, this. I really feel it was a situation where the media kind of tried to make the next Mike Hart, uh, the next person to guarantee the victory. And Mr. Higdon was the, was the culprit. So I'm going to read his statement. So they asked the question, do you guarantee the victory? He didn't answer it with a definitive yes at first, but he answered it with positivity, talking about, team and everything to believe they asked it about three or four more times different ways and this is his response quote unquote yeah i do i do that's how i feel i believe firmly in my brothers the team and the coaching staff so he didn't just come out first thing hey i guarantee this victory but what player on what team does not believe that your team can win robbery <laughs> not championship playoff or not, conference play, uh, a championship game, what team does not, a player does not believe that team can win? If you don't, then you shouldn't be on there. Right. Now, to this, to, to this point, yeah, he could have redirected it a different way, but that's how he felt. Um, do you think, number one, this is worthy of, uh, Something that could motivate, which we know that the motivation of a, of a team over words should not be the case. But is this something that should that could motivate Ohio State with this haphazard guarantee? I don't think so. Um, as we've always said, if the, if if it 
if this is what take if this is what it takes for you to be motivated, then you might not want to suit up. Um, this is strictly a, a situation where the the media kind of goaded him into uh, uh, a half-hearted guarantee. Because I don't think it was really a, this wasn't a guaranteed or this wasn't, oh, we're going to win the game, we're going to blow the team out type of thing. They simply asked him, do you think they're going to win? It's like, what do you expect me to say? No, we're going to lose. So it's one of those things. And and truthfully, I even in the, in the times where uh, Ohio State has been the, the clear-cut favorite, I guarantee you, you ask them the same question, they would have responded the same way. This isn't. This isn't that type of party where you got to, oh, okay, he was disrespecting us. No, the 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 media asked him, and it wasn't, I could see if he, even if he brought it up, was like, yeah, this is our year, we're going to handle them, we're going to take care of business type of thing. No, the, 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 the people that were interviewing him at the time continued to ask the question, and he answered it. So I think the players understand it because they've been in that situation before. But the people surrounding the program, especially the fans, are going to find any reason to try to hype this up. Because, I mean, the players don't need any more motivation. Ohio State still has a lot to play for, and Michigan definitely has a lot to play for. And that should be enough for them to, to get up for it on Saturday. Yeah, I, I agree as well. Um, and the revenge tour, uh, Chase Winovich kind of – uh, earmarked or trademark. Uh, that's that's internal motivation. I mean, that's that's like when you start off the season with your goals, mm-hmm. especially the season that they had last year. Yeah, you can call it whatever you want to, but these are their goals. The goals are to beat the rivalries, is to beat the teams that beat you last year, is to win the Big Ten championship, is to go to the college championship playoff, and to win that. That should be the goals for a program such as Michigan. Now. How many how many teams thought that they would be in this position, two wins away from doing that at this point in time? I'll say it right now. I didn't think so, but again, I didn't think so based upon what I had seen, because quarterback was the biggest issue or concern in my opinion, and to me, it's not long. It's no longer that issue of concern, even with the few the errors they made. But every quarterback makes errors, so yeah, it's a huge upgrade from where we were last year where you could have just said we're gonna play 10 or 11 and just do the wildcat all day <laughs> long we could have been in a better situation than we were last year with our quarterback situation so the thing is is that um yeah this is i mean you should feel that way and the ironic thing that came back from that has another local connect a double local and it was what we talked about, the pettiness of the rivalry, but this is the entertaining thing because from a fan base, you have you have three types of fans. You have the overzealous fan that's going that believes their team is gonna win no matter what the situation is, gonna be obnoxious and all that. You have an even kilter fan that that looks at things for what they are, and then you have the scared fan. You have fans that are scared to post memes that are about their team, scared uh, about the other team, to talk trash and all those other things due to whatever uh, history that they have with supporting their teams and things that they've done. 
but the thing is, is that that's the beauty of the rivalry. You're gonna have people that talk trash regardless. Like I saw one in the in the Big Ten Battlefield uh group we on in Facebook, and you had a Michigan State fan talking trash. And I'm like, what? Right. How, how are y'all even in the discussion for this year? Now in years past, of course, you are more in the discussion than Michigan had been. But this is a separate year. And it's the same argument that Michigan fans use when we were having down season. We had the most vote with most wins in the victory. I mean, in the series, we had the best winning percentage, most wins in the history of college football, all these different things. But that has nothing to do with football this year. Right. Uh, I mean, no- and, and that's what makes it hilarious because you have those fans that – on one hand, in other years, oh, quit bringing up the past. But I'm like, dude, you are bringing up the past this year because you're focusing on – because you can't accept the fact that your team sucks this year. I mean, Michigan State and Penn State need to be very silent. I mean, let the two teams that are up there talk it out. I mean, because that's what Michigan fans had to do the past four or five years. Just, Just suck it up. Just get over it and just know that Hopefully one day your day comes and you can be at the big kids' table. Um, and it's just interesting because I you mentioned the whole thing about the, the confidence. I guess because I just I, I figure it couldn't be worse than what last year's was. I had them going ten and one or eleven and one. And I now the, the loss, I can't recall where the loss is gonna come from. But I had them winning, only losing one game. And it's funny because I know some people that are diehard MSU fans. And when I posted that, they laughed. I'm like, but when you look at this team and where they were last year, how many games they lost because of poor quarterback decisions? I mean, even when you look at the, uh, the Ohio State game last year, with this team having, with the Buckeyes, Having JT Beard, having uh, Nick Bosa, having a more solidified offensive line. They were trailing in the second half. It was just the the team couldn't sustain, which they couldn't do none at all last year. They couldn't finish. They struggled against Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and uh, Penn State finishing the games. And they still only lost because of an ill-advised interception by John O'Corn. That situation is gone. The line is fixed. The defense is more uh, able to finish these games because we can see that, how they finished against Penn State, how they finished against Wisconsin, how they finished – even how they finished against Northwestern. It's a different team. So it's, it's one of those things where you're, you're cautiously optimistic because you know it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, a rivalry game. But I guarantee, and I'm gonna ask you this: If this was Michigan State versus—I mean, I'm, well, I don't know why I said Michigan State. If this was Michigan versus Purdue, same players. So this, I mean, same makeup of players and all that stuff. As far as on the Purdue team, would you have as much angst, or is it because you know this is a rivalry game and weird stuff takes pl- takes place in rivalry games?
Hello? Yeah, I can't hear you, Al. So I'm guessing we might have to just cut it at the 38-minute mark. My bad. I had a connection issue. Oh, okay. Here we go. But you were still live, though. Oh, okay. So the thing is, is I mean, with with the, the rivalry and the back and forth and – and everything in between, it's what make it, makes it so story. I mean, the clapbacks and, and with social media, it, it adds a different, adds another level to it. Of course, you had to get through the trollers and everything else, but you get some epic clapbacks, you get some epic posts, you get some things that live on the infamy, but you get also like a, a majority of the sidebar stuff that are non-relevant and are, like I said, just outright disrespectful to everybody involved in the rivalry. But let's let so when, when uh, let's talk about this before we get into the kind of the, the the keys to winning for both teams in, in in this series. When it comes to the rivalry and the back and forth for teams, uh, and we've seen it in this rivalry, uh you see it in other rivalries. When you look at the ebbs and flows of the seasons of each uh you know different teams and how good they are you know, how realistic is that everything goes out the door when it comes to the rivalry game? We have a number of rivalry games this year, I mean, this week, and we'll cover them. But just looking at the ones, Bama and Auburn, Florida State, Florida, USC, Notre Dame, Washington, Washington State, uh, Michigan, Ohio State. How much of that goes out the door? How much of a swing, a point swing, a motivation swing happens when you're playing that rivalry game? I think – there's a, a, a significant swing. I mentioned it earlier. Um, just the, like how much of your angst, especially specifically looking at the Michigan-Ohio State game, and even uh, some of these other games, you we wouldn't be as worried if the same makeup of the team and the same circumstance, the, the, the suspect defense, the, the poor rush defense was on a – was on Purdue and not Ohio State. You would figure, okay, Michigan should be able to run Purdue out the gym, off the field by 21 points. But because of that scarlet and gray uniform, because of those Buckeyes, it's like something just gets into you where you're like, yeah, we might have a better team, but you never know. And I think when you look at some of the other rivalries, the Florida, Florida State, it's definitely that way. Um, The Seminoles have won six straight in that uh, series. But a lot of people, I'm like, they did upset BC last week, but do you really think that Florida State has a chance this week? I'm not sure. Uh, you look at USC Notre Dame, the Bush push, the the other couple of games from in the previous years, uh, Notre Dame has always found ways, even when they were the prohibitive favorite, to kind of let USC stick around. But they're, the Trojans are five and six. There's questions of whether the head coach is going to make it through the season, uh, be there next year. And Notre Dame has 
far and beyond the better talent, but this is a rivalry game. I mean, even when you look at – I forgot to mention, USF and UCF. This is now the premier rivalry game in the state of Florida, not Miami, Florida, uh, not Miami, uh, FSU, not Florida, Florida State, but South Florida versus UCF because you have two teams over the past four or five years that have been very competitive, and you have this UCF team that's still trying to prove that they are one of the upper echelon teams in the nation. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those situations where it's, it's, it's going to be good to see these games. And this is why, and we probably didn't even mention this as far as on the, in the script, this is why I missed the, the Texas, Texas A&M game, the Nebraska uh, A&M and the Nebraska-Oklahoma games that because of conference changing and, and conference realignment, you no longer get because – those regional rivalries matter. Um, you the the Pitt the Pitt West Virginia game. I mean, a few years ago, that was the game they got Rich Rod his his job at Michigan. Um, so it's it's one of those things where you miss them, and you will hope that one day that these teams, even though it's not, it may not necessarily have to be at the end of the schedule. I want to see Texas play Texas A&M again, but from hearing the the issues down here and how A&M is still mad at Texas for Longhorn Network, I don't see it happening. But the the Pitt West Virginia game definitely needs to happen. Uh, you look at you look at uh, who is it? Colorado Nebraska. We saw it earlier this year, and and that game had a lot of energy. It, it, it was a, a very competitive game, and we need to see that more. And it sucks that I don't think a team, either one of those teams, were earmarked that game to keep it played. But whether it's every two years, every three years, they need to play that game. You need to see Oklahoma versus A&M every once in a while. And it's because that, those are the rivalries that we grew up on. Those are the rivalries that, that – made college football what it is in the, the, the 70s, 80s, and even. Yeah, the, the rivalry, the rivalries is what college football is all about. And there's nothing wrong with making new rivalries, but the ones that have stood the, stood the test of time are is why people, a lot of people prefer college to the NFL because of those stories and, all of the sub stories and things of that, and we've covered those ourselves in our as we've covered uh, sports. So I'm gonna jump right into what I feel are the keys to winning for both teams. And I'll start with OSU, and that's the number one is to establish the run. They have two NFL caliber running backs uh, on their team. They have to establish a run. Being able to do that puts Michigan uh, in a unfamiliar place with their defense being on the field uh, a lot, which 
they don't average a lot of snaps, so that may, allows them to be more aggressive, more fresh. You saw it a little bit last week. Indiana ran a lot of uh, uh, series, I mean, a lot of plays offensively, and you saw a lot of cramping, and you saw a lot of mismatches and a lot of uh, missed assignments. Ohio State has the capability to be able to do that, but they have to do it doing the run through the run because if you can do that, that'll loosen up that middle and those linebackers will bite on that play action. Um, you, they have to pressure uh, uh, Patterson. Pressure Patterson, make him get out. Yes, he's good at creating, but you have to pressure him. You have to make him make those great passes uh, and allow your defensive line to and actually try to do it without blitzing because then that allows you to have drop seven. Uh, and then the last thing I think, I think they have to make U of M become predictable on offense. We've seen it this season multiple times, less and less as the season has gone on, but Michigan, you can almost predict uh, their offensive play as much as you could. I'm uh, high school offensive play, counter trade, trap plays, back and forth because you're trying to establish the run to set up the pass. And if you can get them in down, if you can get Michigan in third and long, which they are horrible at converting on third and long, then that's an opportunity for them to snatch the victory. For Michigan, I think they have to be more diverse on offense. Each week they have opened up the offense a little bit more. I think they have more space to open it up, utilize the tight ends a little bit more, utilize the speed and space on the corners with some of the quarterbacks that you have, and definitely – Go up top a little bit more than you have. Uh, control the line. Uh, Chase being healthy or not is going to be a huge piece in that. Yes, they have depth on the defensive line. Yes, that offensive line has been uh, gelling together and playing solidly, uh, the second, especially the second half of the season. But they definitely need to make sure that they take care of that. And then they have to make big plays. They can't miss when they had an opportunity to make big plays, especially in this game, in the environment that they're playing in. They have to make these big plays, whether it's runs, whether it's catching interceptions, whether it's catching the tough passes that hit the hands or the wide open touchdowns, because you have to score touchdowns. You cannot get into a field goal kicking game like you did last week against Indiana and expect to win uh, in the horseshoe. And I think that's part of the thing. Look at, and, and this is where the rivalry comes in. Because if you really just look at Ohio State for their performances over the last few weeks, none of what you said should matter. I mean, this team gave up 51 points to Mar- a backup quarterback at Maryland. They gave up 49 points to Purdue. They allowed uh, Minnesota to hang around. They were in a, a struggle with Michigan, uh, end up offense at, uh, versus Michigan State for three quarters. But, but, be, but because it's Michigan, Ohio State, the records, the stats go out the window and anything can happen. And it's just scary because you see even with Michigan, you have the ability to run the ball, the ability to kind of set up some things, and it all can change because they're playing in the toilet bowl in in Columbus. They're they're playing the scarlet and gray. They're playing – Michigan is 
it, they bring out the best. Now, hopefully, what will override everything, and, and we've seen this against Wisconsin, against Michigan State, and against Penn State. Yeah, Penn State and Wisconsin aren't rivals, so to speak, but in the past few years, they've had Michigan's numbers, so that, that confidence factor has been able to say, okay, yeah, we should be able to just handle these guys, and we should hang with these guys, and they couldn't. I mean, looking at the rivalry game with Michigan State, this was a game that a lot of people felt, yeah, Michigan was favored, but they could have easily lost that game. But when we look at the at at what it was, outside of a a bad defensive, you had two, I think, three series, two two defensive and one offensive, where it was like, what the heck was Michigan doing? Which led to the 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 poor field position, which led to the turnover, which led to the score. Michigan dominated that game, and it's like you have to think just short of somebody significant going down with the injury, i.e., uh, Higdon or Higdon Bush or Shea. I, like, does really does Ohio State really have a chance to win this game? Well, I mean, it just depends. I think it depends on the start. You know, the, if you're at home and you're the underdog and you're used to winning, if you can get up to a fast start, Michigan has shown uh, getting – I mean, granted, they do make second-half adjustments, but if they get down enough, it may be a hill that they uh, that they can't climb. I mean, we saw that in the Notre Dame game. Second half, they were lights out defensively, but they just didn't have enough offensively. Um so I think it's how they start. I think it's establishing whether it's, hey, well, we're not scoring and neither are you right now, or we get up big, uh, we get in, put up a couple touchdowns in that first half to be able to establish this is what we're going to do. Um, but odds are, seeing how teams have played, the both teams have played, that it would be an upset if Ohio State won that game. Yeah. We we're not going to give our, our predictions yet. But before we do our predictions, it's the season of Thanksgiving. And we're going to talk about what we're thankful for sports-wise uh, for this year. And I'm going to go first. And the first category follows our latest, uh, what we were just talking about, is the first thing I'm thankful for is University of Michigan football being relevant again. Um Again, I'm first to say I did not predict them to be in this situation, uh, but my question mark has my question has been answered regarding quarterback. Play. Uh, quarterback play has been uh, heads and shoulders, leaps and bounds, better than was last year, and has allowed us to be able to utilize the offensive weapons that we have. Huge, huge piece. Uh, again, in the beginning of the year, I thought it was all hype, and even until within the last three weeks. Um, I still didn't have them in my top four. Uh, I had them outside because I needed them to have a signature win. I needed them to show that they can win those tough games, win the Michigan State, win the Penn State. Uh, Wisconsin showed to be a hoax, hoax, but still win those games. And they showed, they put their foot on the neck of the teams that were inferior to them, and they battled and, and beat the teams, with the exception of Notre Dame, that were on, 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 on common ground. Um, so, Yes, they're relevant again, and it's not just for the coach. It's for the player on, on the field now, and not just the defense, because uh, that had been the, the bell of Kyle. 
with the cowbell for the last three years. Uh, the next and last thing I'm thankful for are the Tigers finally finally embracing being in the fully rebuild. And even with them be having a uh, hundred losses the season before, they them as well as fans were not embracing. They are in the they have horrible contracts. Guys are under contract. I mean, I love Victor Martinez, but I celebrated his retirement because we don't have to pay that horrible contract. I love Mickey to death. He's an all-star, I mean, a Hall of Famer. But the contract was necessary at the time, but we're eating it right now, and he's been injury-played the last three seasons. So I'm happy that they're embracing it. I'm happy that they're playing guys that I have to do research on to see where these cats came from, that they come in the trade, that we draft them. Uh, and I like the manager. Uh, Garden Hire. I hope Garden Hire is not a Tommy Amaker, uh in the situation that he's the segue or the catalyst to the next coach because I think he's a, a coach that can get us to play in the championship level. But I really think uh, that I'm glad that they're embracing the rebuild because that's a hard pill to swallow. Yes, I, and, and I didn't fully swallow it because I didn't go to a game this year. Uh and I stopped watching after a certain while because they were playing bad baseball, but I did watch some games and saw some promise. So I'm thankful that the Detroit Tigers are embracing the rebuild. And in 2000 season, 2020 or 21, they'll be playing relevant baseball again. And that's not that far to go, but I'm also grateful and thankful for the run that we had when we were title contenders, even though we didn't win the championship and didn't bowl and play well in the World Series. I still am thankful for where we are, but I'm I'm definitely thankful for the rebuild because constantly just adding pieces on to what we had just showed the glaring holes that we that we had. What are you thankful for, Quinn? Uh, first I, I have to say, and this is a, a general statement. Um, I'm thankful for the the teams that I I follow, I cover in college sports, well, college football, are being competitive this year. That extends beyond Michigan. I mean, that's primary. But then also uh, SMU, despite their record being under 500, they're showing that the transition between uh, coaching staff going from uh, Chad Morris to Sonny Dykes isn't going to be a significant step back a uh, couple weeks ago, they beat Houston, a rival, for the second time in three years. Lost a heartbreaker to uh, Memphis. But if they, they play Tulsa this Saturday on the road, if they win, they're bowl eligible. Um, uh, you look at uh, Eastern, my alma mater, bowl eligible. Uh, and this is the funny thing about it, and this is a, a, a state of Michigan joke, like, who would have thought that Eastern and Michigan State would have the same record this year? And, right. <laughs> and truthfully, so that's that's one good thing. Uh, the team, I think, it, it's good to see that they've – wow, hold up, that's interesting. Um, um, it's good to see that they're sticking with their coaching staff. They're, they're finding some continuity in the program because you you've had the ebbs and flow. You had the bowl appearance for the first time in a few years in like 20 years a couple years ago then they took a couple of steps down and you would like sometimes you would think a program 
would get ahead of itself and say, oh, we we should be better than this. We just went to a ball game two years ago. Why aren't we getting better? Well, this is what happens in college football. So they stuck with the staff, and they, they, they bounced back, had some key wins, and they're competitive. Uh, UCF, because that's my wife's school, once again trying to prove that they are the the preeminent team. I mean, hopefully next year when they have Stanford and Pitt on their schedule, that they can can they can continue this wave. I'm not so sure about it, but we thought this last year. So that's one thing I'm thankful for. Uh, another thing is just, uh, and this is going this is tongue in cheek, so to speak. I'm mm. thankful I do not have to spend my time, my my Sundays and and some of my my weekday watching the Lions and the Pistons. Cause just listening to them, um, it's a heartache. It's it's, it's frustration because both teams are in the same situation where they, they they show glimpses of being better than what they are, but then they show glimpses of they have a long way to go. And I've kind of detached myself from the Lions. I used to be upset. I used to carry the losses in the Monday. Right now, it's like whatever. I don't care. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna feel that. Allow that team to give me those those feelings of angst anymore. And the Pistons, are, I've all I've, we've called this. They they have some holes. They have a hole that point guard, shooting guard, small four. They have two players. And right now, the other players that they have aren't good enough to compensate the fact that they have Drummond and uh, Griffin. So, I mean, it's, it's good to see them have good moments. But it's, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in Detroit because I, I would not be excited about spending my money to see either one of those teams. Yeah, well, there's yeah, a lot more people that are thankful for that. Quinn is thankful for being Lions free, kind of, <laughs> sort of. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, thank you. I mean, it's good to be thankful for things sports-wise that aren't necessarily negative, but to embrace it and recognize it for what it is. So we're about to go through this real quick. The rivalry week uh, picks, of course, we post this on Instagram every Saturday. Uh, we probably have to do it tomorrow because I think one of the games may be on Yeah, Friday. it is. So we're gonna go in order. Um, Bama and Auburn. In Auburn. I mean, unless a miracle happens, this is Bama. <laughs> yeah, I got Bama all day. Uh, just put Auburn down out of their misery. Let it, let the sleeping dogs lie and die peacefully. Florida State and Florida. Uh, another situation, unless something just drastic happens. Uh, the Gators have too much talent this year, and Florida State is, is struggling, so I'm going to go with the Gators. But I'm going to go with Florida State because Florida has been struggling as well. Uh, they escaped last week with a victory after being down the uh, majority of the game. I just uh, – and uh, Florida State played pretty well the last couple of weeks, gotten a little bit of their identity, so I'm going with them. USC, Notre Dame. The game, this shit, this is a joke. Last week, we thought Notre Dame was going to have a struggle against Syracuse, and they just mud-stomped them. I know this is a, a rivalry game, so it's not going to be a mud-stomping. It's just going to be a, a outback 
beaten. So I'm going with the Fighting Irish. Yeah, I would like to be able to say USC to win for selfish reasons, but uh, this will be the upset upset of the year if that happens. I'm going with the Golden Domers. Washington State and Washington. Huh, this is a tough one. Um, where is this game at this year? This game is at Washington State, I believe. Uh, the, the Huskies have kind of been disappointed. You would think that the roles will be reversed where we're talking about Washington in contention. Um, but I think the Huskies pull out pull off an upset. Okay. Well, I'm going with Washington State. Just for the stash by itself. <laughs> and then the last. Michigan versus Ohio no, State. No, we got one more. Do one more. I got one for you. Uh, USF yeah. versus UCF. And that's going to be – I think it's going to be closer than most people think. Uh, USF just played the night game against Cincinnati. I handled that. Uh, gives their only ranked opponent they beat this season. I'm going with UCF. Same here. Um, it's going to be a lot closer than what people expect, especially with it being in Tampa. So, and Michigan and Ohio State. Oh boy, um, I'm gonna go with my heart, and I, I just trust that this team is focused and. They 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 find ways. They're gonna find a way to to limit uh, the the big plays from Dwayne Haskins, and I think what the surprise is gonna be. Ohio State is gonna implement some some run pass options with Tate Martell, and it's gonna backfire. So that's gonna be the the uh, the momentum shift, and Michigan wins the game. I just think it's blood, sweat, and tears. No matter how it happens, Michigan is going to win out. Uh, it's going to be closer than most people think, but they are going to win the game uh, and win the first time in a long time in, in the horseshoe and continue to control their destiny and go on to, to meet Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. And that was a head answer, not a heart answer <laughs> for me because I can't put my heart in there, Michigan, just due to all the stress. So, folks, we definitely want you all to uh, – We're thank- first of all, last name, we're thankful for you all listening to our podcast uh, on, a, on a regular basis, following us and articles on the website, www.sportsqanda.com. Uh, also, follow us on Instagram, sports underscore QA. Same thing on Twitter. Uh, also sports underscore QA underscore preps for high school sports in Michigan. And make sure you follow us on uh, Facebook. Also follow us on your favorite podcast following stations on iTunes, on Spotify, on radio.com, on Anchor, wherever you listen to your podcast, just subscribe. I know it hasn't been as regular as we have liked and you have liked either, but we would like feedback, get feedback, ideas, um, but we're loving this new method and how we do it. Uh, and again, we're thankful for you all. So make sure you enjoy and let people know who you're thankful for. Be thankful that they know you're thankful. 
And with that, this closes our thankful episode, episode three of the Sports Q&A podcast. And with that, folks, have a great holiday weekend. Peace. Peace.